Church, let's pray. God, what a blessing it is to partake in communion as we truly do it in remembrance of you and the sacrifice that you made. God, allow that not to just be a five-minute portion of a worship service, but a posture that we live with, that we truly are grateful, remembering what you have done on the cross. Lord, of course, we continue to pray for Israel. We pray for peace. We know that your word says that there will be a time for war and a time for peace. And God, we ask you and we beg you to bring peace upon that nation. And Lord, continue to humble us so that we can live a life on our knees, giving glory to you in everything that we do. Lord, go before me, go before us in the message. Open the hearts and the minds of those listening to truly understand the depth of how important it is to stand firm on the truth of your word. Lord, allow me to become less so that you can become more. Push me out of the way, if it be your will, so that you could speak this morning. Lord, I love you. I say thank you. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today we're going to be talking about standing firm. If you've been with us for the last few weeks, you know that we are going through our series called Prepare. And, and this week it has a special place in my heart. I absolutely love this topic. I'm super passionate about standing firm on the truth of God's word because really I've seen the consequences of a life when you don't. Um, and and I, I, I ask that you continue to pray as, as I bring the message and, and that it's God that's speaking. Uh, but as I said, this is, this is my favorite topic. What's Pastor Ryan's favorite topic? Standing firm on the truth of God's word. So as they say it down in Boynton Beach, Florida, we're going to preach today. <laughs> Standing firm. So many have heard of a man named Voltaire. He, he committed his life to, to going around the world and, and preaching against Christ. He almost made a, a joke out of, out of the name of Jesus. He, he wrote books, he wrote plays and poems, criticizing any teachings of the Bible, seeking to prove that it's not only a joke, but it's a lie. He was arguably one of the most prominent atheists and philosophers of the 1600s. Well, of course, like any man, he died after dedicating his life to trying to prove the Bible to be false. And of course, he failed. But upon his death, uh, an, organiza an organization purchased his home, and this organization is now known as the American Bible Society. The American Bible Society then used his home as a hub for distribution of Bibles all throughout the world. You see, not only is all Scripture breathed out by God, but it stands its own ground. It doesn't need to be defended because it's being defended by the very God of the universe. He then leaves you with the option of either joining him or going the other direction. Of course, my heart is that no person ever commits their life to trying to disprove God's word because they never will. But my point is this. There's no philosopher, ideology, or deceptive thought that can prove the Bible to be false. Let's go back even further to about 1,700 years ago. There was an emperor named Diocletian. 
And one of his primary objectives was to completely eradicate Christianity throughout the entire Roman Empire. He killed anyone that claimed to be that claimed allegiance with Christ. He killed all the Christians and he tortured Christ's followers in ways that I'm not even going to talk about from the pulpit today. This man, he absolutely hated Christians, and it was part of his administration to get rid of its existence. An ultimate picture of his leadership was, was when he had his army go door to door throughout Rome and, and take any Bible, make a pile in the middle of the city, and then burn these Bibles to ashes. And as he made this happen, he, he burned every single Bible in the city, and, and every citizen of the city was then forced to come out and watch this happen, whether or not they agreed, agreed with it. And then to top it all off, he, he then went to this pile of ashes, and he built a statue or an idol on top of it, and on, top of, and on this idol were inscripted the words, Extincto Nomine Christianorum, or, or in English, it's the name of Christ has been extinguished. Some years go by, and a young soldier took a hold of the throne by the name of Constantine. And, was he, when he, and when he was about to enter into this messy battle, he prayed and said, God, I need a sign. Not knowing what God he was going to pray to, he just knew that there was a God, and he needed a sign. And the Lord gave him a sign of a cross in the sky. And again, keep in mind that just years before, all the Bibles throughout the city were burned in the middle of the city with a statue that rose up on top of this pile of burned ashes that said, Christianity is extinguished. Keep that in mind. So now as Constantine is trying to discern exactly what this cross meant in the sky that he saw, he gave a call to all of Rome for a Christian Bible. Once Constantine gave this call, not even one day later, over 50 Bibles showed up. My friend, no matter how powerful, no matter how anti-God, no matter how evil the government may be, there is no political power that will ever eradicate the Bible. Fast forward to today, as we just talked about a couple weeks back, China is under some of the most persecution as a nation that they've probably ever faced in their history. Their churches are, are getting bulldozed to the ground. Their pastors are, are being arrested. Bibles are, are no longer able to and allowed to be sold in their country. Yet China is currently in the middle of the largest revival they have ever seen in the underground church. And it's growing at a pace that there's no military power or communist agenda that can control it. My friend, that's because there are no laws, no mandates, or no amount of censorship that can possibly censor the work of God in our world. Now, those are just three examples, and trust me, if you look at history, there are many more that prove the reality, the power, and the strength that the Word of God provides to those that put their faith in it and truly stand firm upon it. So as we said today, we are going to be talking about standing Firm, standing firm on God's word. If you have your Bible, we're going to be going through Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Um, if you don't have a Bible, maybe you're new here or you just are used to having it on the screen. That's cool. We have Bibles right in front of you on the back of the chairs. 
That's going to be the NIV version. I use the ESV versions. You might notice a little bit of a difference, but please go ahead and grab that Bible uh, outside and turn to pay, or Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. If you have trouble getting there, ask your neighbor. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. course, we'll take it in bite-sized chunks, starting with verses 10 through 12, Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, starting with verses 10 through 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Point number one, standing firm protects believers from the enemy. Standing firm protects believers from the enemy. You know, I believe we're beginning to see a, a change or a shift in the church today. The change that we're seeing either consists of churches increasing the level of production for their plays and activities or increasing their faith, trust, and confidence in God's word. It's like there's a split. Christians either want to learn more about Christ or they want to watch a performance. However, no longer are congregants settling for a surface-level faith. It's almost as if over the course of the last few years, God has begun weeding out his church, but, but also strengthening the roots of, of those that are remaining. From needing to stand up for the gospel in their workplace, to supporting Christian values with our dollar at retail stores, to realizing the, the power of a vote that when we have it, it when it what it comes down to when we vote for our political leaders and how strong that vote is. However, as of recently, it almost appears as if Christians have been forced to play defense more than offense. And part of this is because we're afraid of venturing into, into these tough topics, into these hard areas to talk about. Now, let's take a look at politics. The mistake here is that we are led into believing the lie from the enemy that what is political has nothing to do with our faith. This is so far from the truth. What is labeled by the world as a political issue often needs to be labeled by the church as a biblical issue. You see, it's not that the church needs to venture into politics, but rather that politics is beginning to venture into the church. And the only way to stand up to it is by standing on the truth of God's word, which can only be found in the Bible. I believe that the day is here where we need to start to play offense. No longer should we bend knee to the immoral decisions of political leaders. No more do Christians tolerate the gospel that is watered down or just straight up wrong. God is allowing a change in the culture. And as we all know, we either change with the culture or we stand firm to what we believe. My prayer is that we stand firm. 
My prayer is that we stand firm. My prayer is that we stand firm when, when laws are passed that, that go so far against the teaching and morals of the Bible, as well as the laws that the country was founded on. My, my prayer is that we stand firm on the truth of God's word when the false gods of politics are, are forced on our children in schools. My prayer is that we stand firm as, as sin becomes more and more regulated and common, and instead of taking part in it, we stand up to it. That Hope Community Church in the years ahead will not just stand, but we will walk ahead with the full armor of God, defending and proclaiming our beliefs and not bending knee to any God but that of Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. And as we do this, we'll realize that Christ has already gone before us. He was just waiting us to step waiting on us to step out in faith. How do I know that? Isaiah 41:10 says this, "Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand." 2 Thessalonians 3:3 3, 3 says this, "But the Lord is faithful." He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Psalm 23, 4, so, so many of us know this one. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's just three verses. There are hundreds of verses that, talking about, that talk about the Lord going with you. Standing firm protects believers from the enemy. Standing firm protects believers from the enemy. Let's continue. Verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand Point number two, standing firm provides clarity for today. Standing firm provides clarity for today. While the world is, is running around looking for answers, Christians can look up to God and look into his word and receive perfect clarity about who is in control and how we are to conduct our lives. There are no gray areas. We're not going to withstand the changes of culture. We're going to stand up to it. And a, a lot of times, a lot of times, hear this, this requires us to put our opinions aside. You can't say that you're a Christian and not follow the Bible. That's called progressive Christianity. You can't read through it and say, well, I, I don't think that that's what this means, or I don't, I don't feel like obeying this particular passage, that's like looking God right in the face and saying that you're not going to do what he says. Unfortunately, we live in a time where I'm not surprised that this happens, but there will come a time that anyone who decided to do that will regret it. Now, it's easy to hear this and be turned off because you think a lot of what the Bible teaches is harsh and 
And when you hear it taught from the pulpit that God is not a God that just gives you a thumbs up with whatever decision you decide to make, I have to say that the Bible is true in the sense that it is harsh to any sin that goes against God. I've heard it way too often in the past, something along the lines of, I don't think I like what this passage means, or I don't think that that's what God means by that. Well, the truth is that God doesn't necessarily care what you think if it doesn't line up with his word. I would even go as far as saying he's actually insulted by it. Isaiah 55, 7 says this, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. My friend, not standing firm means not standing at all. How about this one? I often hear these in conversations. Well, I wonder where the church stands on this particular issue. Or I wonder what this church believes about... Finish the sentence. Hope family, let me assure you, that people are not going to wonder where hope stands on certain issues in the world. We're going to believe the Bible, we're going to live the Bible, we're going to preach the Bible, and we're going to do it without hesitation and without question and without apology. Yes, it's going to upset and offend people. But you know what? Jesus said that he did not come to bring peace but a sword. Even going as far as saying they will be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother. He doesn't even stop there. Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. But when you have truly stood firm on the truth of God's word, you know that any division that is caused by it is more than necessary. I want to say that one more time so I make sure we get it. When you have truly stood firm on the truth of God's word, you know that any division that is caused by it is more than necessary. Standing firm provides clarity for today. Standing firm provides clarity for today. Verses 14 to 18. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints. Let's just go all the way to 20. I can't stop in the middle of Paul's thought there. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Point number three. Standing firm produces perseverance for the future. Standing firm produces perseverance for the future. When you know what you're standing on, which is the truth of God's word and faith in Christ, you know that it withstands the test of time, of political power, of war, and anything else in the world. There is nothing 
There is nothing that could get in your way when you're standing on God's word. Joining a church that preaches this and understands the power that the word of God contains is is of the utmost importance to, to the believer that seeks to make a true kingdom impact. If you are looking for a church that preaches the truth of God's word, uh, I want to welcome you to our Connections class that will be taking place November 5th. We'll help to maybe answer any questions you have and, and take any considerations that you are walking through. Uh, there's a sign-up in the back lobby. Don has been doing a fantastic job of putting that all together. So really, if you're looking to take that next step with our church here at Hope, uh, please consider the, the, the Connections class. We're going to have some coffee flowing and, and uh, there'll be some snack. It'll, what do the kids say now? It'll be a vibe. It'll, it'll be a vibe. So please make sure that you sign up. It's November 5th. Uh, following the service, we can hang out together. But Paul Washer said this, do not look for the church nearest to your house. Look for the church closest to the Bible. You see, the Bible is not a textbook. It's not an instruction manual. It's not a self-help book. It's not a good read. I would even argue that it's not a book that tells you what's right and what's wrong. It's a perfect book written by God through man, proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, giving humanity the way to salvation through him and live a life that is glorifying to his name. Give me an amen, somebody. Amen. You know, this had me thinking, there, there are going to be times in your, in your walk with Christ, now give me a chance before, I, before you start tuning out when I say this, it's not heretical, okay? There's going to be times in your walk with Christ where you're going to be forced to sin. I'm fully aware of 1 Corinthians 10.13. It says this, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. But, but the question should not be, how do I avoid this? But how do I glorify God in the midst of it? Let me, let me explain. In his book, Letters to the American Church, one of my favorite books. If you haven't read Letters to the American Church by Eric Metaxas, write it down, take a note of it, get it, get a copy. It's a fantastic book in terms of the church and how it's relating to the culture today. Letters to the American Church. He gives this illustration. In World War II, when the Nazis were capturing Jews and placing them in concentration camps to ultimately be murdered, there was a man who decided that he was going to hide a Jewish family in his attic. They were hiding there for a number of weeks until one day the Nazis showed up at his door. This man, not a Jew, so technically innocent in the eyes of the Nazis, was left with a choice. Does he disclose the family of Jews in the attic, essentially giving them up to die? Or does he lie to the Nazis and submit to their authority? and state that they're not in the home. So he either has the choice of giving up a family for death or lying to the Nazis. You see what I'm saying? There's no escape. There's no option that allows a way out of what one may consider sin, but rather there is a way that glorifies God. Thankfully, this man chose to lie to the Nazis, and the family was safe because of his decision. 
Standing firm in the years ahead, my friends, is just going to get harder and harder. There's going to be situations that lay in front of us that will leave us almost speechless with where the world is going if we aren't there already. But no matter what the world will try to tell you, the Bible provides clarity, perfect clarity, on any situation that is thrown in our direction. This is true because the Word of God is alive, alive and active. How do I know this? Because our God is alive and active. It's the very voice and words of God himself. His, his word speaks to the issues of the culture and the world, and it speaks to your soul. It speaks reasoning to the wars and chaos of our day, and it provides hope to our inmost being. It stands the test of time, persecution, and opposition, and my friend, it sure is not outdated or irrelevant. It's at the center of every political debate throughout history, and it proves that if you're not for the Bible, you're against it. You know, when you, when you begin to go into the marketplace and, and hear of many other options for, for who God is, how he speaks, and, and what he does, this is when you stand on the word of God, rightly dividing the word of truth and proclaiming it no matter the consequence. The word will say that you're closed-minded. The world. I want to say that one more time. The world is going to say that you're closed-minded because you only believe the Bible. But if you have truly been changed by God through his word, I want to encourage you. You are closed-minded. Because you know that there is nothing else that has power like God's word. I firmly believe that it's okay to have tunnel vision as long as the Bible is at the end of your tunnel. It's because this Bible is the very word of God, and it's the truth. And the word of Jesus goes like this. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the freedom that your word provides. God, for the soul that's here today that isn't standing on your word. Maybe they have one foot on it, one foot off. God, show them the way. Provide a person in their life or convict their heart to go all in for your, your sake, for your name. God, as the times continue to get more and more difficult to discern, we thank you for your word that makes it simple. God, it's your word that gives us peace. It's your word that comforts us. It's your word that allows us to keep walking when the world says to stop. Lord, we are so truly grateful for your son, Jesus Christ, for sending him to earth to die on the cross for our sins, but not just dying, rising again three days later, so that through faith in him, that's the truth that sets us free. Amen.